Welcome to Equipus Church, Dunedin. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Smith. For more information, check out equipuschurch.com. For me, uh, my experience of church, doing church online, um, there's some positives, eh? There's some benefits. Uh, there's some real benefit for the preachers, just quietly, just between you and me. Uh, when you're doing church online, you know how you watch the service online. Sometimes... It's pre-recorded, right? Yeah, so I was just in there on a Wednesday afternoon talking to a camera. It's actually quite good. And I did one recently for a church, and um, they had some people in the room and most people on Zoom, and it was like, they, they just said, hey, just record. Can you just record a video at home and send it? I was like, I can, I can do that. I could get on a plane and come there. But also, I'm quite happy just to record a video at my house. So, uh, yeah, so there's some benefits, right? But the main thing I've learned doing church online is that being together is way better. It's just way, way, way better. I work online by myself at home all the time as well, and I've learned as well that that's not much fun either. So it's actually being together with people is really important. In fact, lots of studies show as well that humans as social animals, right? So we bear, yeah, the animal we're most like, guesses? Rats, right? So people talk about how we share so much DNA with chimpanzees and stuff like that, but we're actually much more like rats uh, in terms of our social interaction because rats are actually really social. Um, and, uh, you know, so if I go off bush for a couple of days, if I go off to bush for a couple of days, I'm going to come back healthier, right? I'm actually going to come back healthier. If I go for two years, I'm actually not going to be very healthy when I come back, right? Because we actually regulate our own, our own health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, however you define health, the whole health picture of how well are you doing, we regulate that with the people that we are around. That's why at high school you're a bit weird, right? It's not just that you're a teenager, it's also that we've locked you up with a whole bunch of other people, right? That's why university students stand out in the news all the time, right? Let's take a whole bunch of people and push to put them in a weird environment and see what happens. It's actually an experiment that you're in, right? And they're looking at the results, right? Uh, that's why middle-aged men are weird, right? So I know some of you are laughing, you're middle-aged, you don't know when you're going to die, right? So... You're middle-aged, halfway through, but the reason we're weird is because on average, there's a new study in the States, on average, middle-aged men have half a friend. <laughs> half a friend. So a friend is defined as someone you could go to with a personal problem and know that they would help. So on average, men have half a friend. Now, just to explain for you, Jason, because you already, you know, some things escaped you, right? So... <laughs> The um, <laughs> the only reason you can do this joke is because you, when you talk to the smartest person in the room, you can pretend that they're stupid, right? So, Jason, just explaining to you uh, how it works having half a friend, that means lots of people have n no friends, right? So, uh, some people have three friends, lots of people have no friends. That's how you get, on average, half a friend. And what happens is when we're not connecting... When we don't have those people, so turning up at church is a good start, right? But actually, do you know what you could do here? You could make friends. Do you know one of the one of the old rules about making a friend? And this is from Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Right? It's a historical classic. He says the best way to make a friend is to ask someone to do something for you. 
Ask someone to do something for you, right? That's how you make a friend. Don't do something for them. Ask them to do something for you. When you do that, you set up a reciprocal connection with that person, and they know that you owe them. That's how you make a friend. You don't make friends by making them owe you. You make friends by making them know, hey, you've got their back. Right? Isn't that powerful? It sounds selfish, but it's actually a very unselfish thing to do. Right? It's a very unselfish thing to do to be in church and say, hey, Micron. <laughs> Sorry, Micron. Uh, choose, someone, choose someone less busy. Uh, get there to do something for you. Right? Make a connection. If you're at university, the number one reason you're at university is to make great friends. Right? Do you, maybe do your study as well. Definitely pass. If you need to study, do the study, right? If you don't need to study to pass, don't waste your time, right? You're there to make friends, right? If you fail, it's your fault, right? If you fail, it's your fault. But you're there to make friends, right? You're there to make connection, right? If you're a young adult, young professional, make friends. Get connected in the house of God, right? Because we need each other if we're going to do something significant. Here's the, here's the, here's the ultimate. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm doing this long interaction is because you'll understand later, right? You will never do anything significant. We will. Right? You're just you. Right? You're just you. And you know when you're awesome? When we're awesome around you, right? We want you to be amazing. Right? The reason we want you to be making amazing is it makes us look good. Right? And we want to be amazing because it's going to make you look good. How many of you saw old David Brent playing the keyboard today? <laughs> no? No one noticed David Brent playing the keyboard? Is that a joke that's already been made? You don't know who David Brent is? Oh. So Andrew. Who saw Andrew playing the keyboard? He looks like David Brent. Been how? If you don't know who David Brent is, oh, gosh, yeah. Have you guys got the internet here? <laughs> Have you got the internet from the early 2000s? That might be the issue here, yeah. David Brent, he's the guy from the office. Anyhow, <laughs> you, you, know, you didn't know you married Ricky Gervais, but anyhow, there you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Liv, that, yeah, that's going to be hard to put out of your mind. Um, let's, pray for, let's pray for healing for Liv. But anyhow. What about, what about, Andrew Naismith's a superstar. He's a superstar. Why is he a superstar? Because he got connected in church. He's a little annoying little kid. You think he's annoying now? Wow. You should have seen him, right? Got connected in church, got made friends, right? And he's awesome, right? And he's awesome because he's committed to contributing to this thing that is big and is going somewhere. Amen. Okay, in the Bible it says this, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and elevated throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs stood over him. Each one had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And they used the remaining two to fly. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire Earth. The sound of their voices shook the door frames, and the temple was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am destroyed, for my lips are contaminated by sin, and I live among a people whose lips are contaminated by sin. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. But then one of the seraphs threw down toward me. His hand, in his hand was a hot coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Your evil is removed. Your sin is forgiven. 
And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom will I send? Who will go on our behalf? And I answered, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. It's one of the really famous parts of the Bible. That's why you've heard it before. Who's heard it before? Give me a wave. If you were here this morning, some of you were here this morning, and I read this, and I I was loud. I'm talking on a microphone. I've got a loud voice anyway, right? And I just asked you, have you heard this before? And a bunch of you who I saw your faces this morning, you just didn't put your hand up, right? That's called lying, right? Okay, so let's do this again. This is a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. Who's heard this one? Yeah, yeah, we've heard this before, and it's part of part of this scripture is uh, interesting because it's very hard to understand. But the basic idea is this: in the middle of a chaotic, destructive time in the history, the, the death of the king, Isaiah is in the temple and he sees this vision of the Lord. He's a priest. He's serving in the temple. He sees this vision of the Lord. He's a very young man. So he's a teenager when he sees this vision. He, he has to have been because he's then the, the book of Isaiah unfolds, right, over many years after that. Right, he's a young man. He sees this vision, and it's transformational. We say this thing in church all the time, and I think it's a really important thing, is that, the, that God will always meet you right where you are at, right? That's, do you know, where God is, so the thing that causes all the things to be, right? We know him as a person. So the person who causes everything to be. Everyone in the world knows that things exist. Right? Some people would disagree with that, but they're a long way away from understanding faith. Right? If you think that the whole world's an imagination, there's a really growing movement of people who believe that the whole, all of existence is a computer simulation that we're part of. Right? But these are people who watch Matrix too young. Right, so you, that's why they have those age restrictions on them, right? So, other, right? So, um, but we're not in a computer simulation. We're in an envi- we're in a world created by a person. We know that because it's such a personal world. Rats have social interaction, right? <laughs> right? Trees appear to talk to each other and warn each other. How do they talk to each other? The, the, the latest science is. It's not a science hypothesis is that trees speak to each other via the fungus that grows within the ground, right? So the living, the animals, the fungus, they, they, well, the animals are the plants, nobody knows, right? That's how trees talk to each other. So if you cut one tree down, there'll be a change in the behavior of the trees miles around they know about, right? So that's the world we live in, right? And this God who causes that world to be is clearly a person, Right, an interrelatable person, right? Because we can see so much person and personality in the world around it. It's more than us projecting it onto the world. We can see it in the basics of how trees work, how rats work. There's these interrelationships from planets to particles. These interrelationships speak to the fact that it's a person who causes everything to be. And the place you can find him the place where he is most accessible is the place where you are at. But you're not there. So you know that place where you're at? That's where God is. Do you know where you are? Well, some of you are way out in the future. You're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. You're scared about this. You're scared about that. So you're into the future Worrying about this, worrying about that. And where's God? He's God. Do you know where God isn't? God's not in the future. 
Do you know where God is? He's where you're at right now. So if you're worrying about the next, next semester, do you know what? God's not in next semester yet. Do you know why? Because God knows it's not next semester yet. He knows it's Sunday night in the first weekend of April. So that's where God is. He's not worried about that. Do you know what? God's not worried about the future. Do you know why God's not worried about anything? God doesn't, God doesn't know how to worry, right? Because he's not in the future. He's always here right now. That's why we worship. That's why we, when we come to church, we don't start with a sermon. Imagine that. Right? Where do we start? We start with worshiping, right? Why? Because we've all got we've all got to get here so that we can meet with God. Some of us are way out in the future. Some of us are way back in the past, worrying about the fashion choices you made in the Form 2 disco. Does that keep crossing your mind? Hey, I don't know why. Just let it go. Yes, it was a bad decision, and people make horrible mistakes, and you're one of those people, right? But just let that go, right? Those girls were never going to dance with you anyway, okay? <laughs> there is a new study. Um, there's a new study, a survey that's come out that found, finds that the average person has seven big regrets. Seven big regrets. And on average, people spend about one hour a day thinking about their regrets. You don't spend an hour a day doing anything else, right? An hour a day, one whole hour a day on average thinking about regrets. Some of us probably stuck there longer than that. The 10 most common regrets, are you ready? 10 most common regrets. Don't, make, don't put your hand up, right? This is not like a hand up thing, right? <laughs> Point to people if you if you know them well, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a safe. This is a safe place. Mostly, it's a mostly safe place. Okay. So number one is worrying too much. Okay. So here's this. Our number one regret. What's our number one regret? Worrying too much. Can you see how how helpful this one is? Right? I really regret how much I worried yesterday. I worried all of yesterday, and today I'm going to regret all day about how much I was worried yesterday. Right? That's the number one regret is worrying too much. Number two, losing touch with old friends. Man, I'm going to spend an hour a day feeling sad about losing touch with old friends. Or... (laughs) Find them on Facebook. What are, what are you doing? Do you know all of your old friends are accessible? Just contact them, right? What about this? I'm, I regret not saving as m- enough money. I don't know. Desiree, you know what more? I mean, does that make a lot of money? Regretting saving no money? Uh, I regret not exercising. <laughs> You can, you know what? You can fix that really quickly, right? You maybe, maybe you can't run a marathon like some of the people in the front row here, right? No, not you. That's the other end. All right, <laughs> right? Maybe you can't run a marathon, but you could do some exercise the moment you started to feel a bit of regret, right? You could do something about it, right? Uh, not of many other friends, but not exercising. Smoking is a regret that people have. Not seeing someone before they died. It's a bit more of a real thing. Some people regret taking life too seriously. It's number seven, number eight, sorry. Uh, and number nine, the last one on my top ten list. Uh, 
Some editing may be required, but uh, a lot of people regret not learning to play an instrument. There you go. So there you go. So we have these regrets. Now, God's always right where we are. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, it's really interesting. It tells the story where the Holy Spirit comes, and it, it describes the disciples, the apostles, and others, 120 people in an upper room praying, right? Which is why every prayer meeting since then has been called the upper room prayer meeting, right? Uh, the, an upper room praying. doesn't matter if it's a basement. doesn't matter where it is. It's the upper room prayer meeting, right? Because we're going to reenact this thing, right? We're going to make it happen, right? So they're praying. Um, and Jesus had told them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. In a few days, Jesus said, in a few days, the Spirit will come. Sixty days later, they're praying in the upper room. Who was running late? The Holy Spirit was running late. I find it hard to believe that the creator of the universe was slow in arriving. I think perhaps the 120 were in the upper room. But they weren't there. It took a long time for everyone to arrive. Because that's where God is. Number one tool, number one tool when you're feeling anxious is why don't you stop being out there and just start being here. Be in the space where God is. Be in the space where his presence is. Number one, number one tool when you're feeling regret and hurt is to be here now, right? Be in the space that you're in, right? Think about the space that you're in. When you're sitting in church, think about the space you're in. When you're in a lecture, think about the room that you're in. When you're lying in your bed, think about the bed that you're lying in. Don't think about the Form 2 disco. Don't think about semester number two. Think about, hey, I'm lying in my bed. It's time to go to sleep and God's present with me. Amen? So God's where you are right now and God's not silent. It's amazing that... The moment Isaiah sees God and then God draws him close. And the process of God drawing Isaiah close was this process of redemption. Did you notice that? How did, God, how did Isaiah go from seeing God, wow, enthroned on this mighty throne to being within earshot? Right? It's the first thing is to see the, the power and the glory of God. The next thing is this redemptive process that draws us into God's whisper zone. Right, where he just hears he just hears God saying, "Oh, we need someone to do we need someone to race down the dairy to get a couple of bottles of milk," um, and Isaiah says, "Oh, here I am, I'll do it." Right, but there's this process of redemption, and so when God, when Isaiah sees the glory of God, one of the things he saw was an altar, and on the altar was a coal. So in the middle of this glorious picture of God is also this picture of our redemption. He sees God's glory. He sees his own weakness. And in it, he also sees God's redemptive processes, drawing God, uh, Isaiah into that whisper zone. You know, across my career, I've had, depending how you count it, between four, about 14 to 20 different jobs, right? I'm old enough. so you, And also, if you change job every year, you can get quite a few in, right? <laughs> I've had about 14 different jobs. And uh, on one occasion, I applied for a job. And got it. Now, on many occasions, I applied for a job. When I was first teaching, I applied for 70 jobs, seven zero jobs in the Wellington region. And three of the schools got back to me and said, thanks for applying, but there's no space for you, right? And then, because you're a useless idiot. That's what I read. But they didn't write that. I just, I felt it. 
right? The other 67 schools didn't even reply, uh, send anything back to me, right? So, I applied for, so I've applied for lots of jobs, but it's only one occasion where I applied for a job and got it. All of the other jobs I've got has just someone has said to me, oh, hey, Jordan, we need someone to do this, or we need someone to do that. Because that, this is actually how life works. Life doesn't follow your plan. You follow plans. There's a whole bunch of plans out there, and you're on one of the plans. You think that you're making plans. You're not. You're choosing plans, right? It's like if you're going to travel by train, do you get to decide really where the train goes? If you're going to travel by plane, are you deciding where the plane goes? If you're going to travel by car, are you really deciding where the car goes? No. Someone built a road. You're choosing that you drive on it, but the plan was already there, right? So we're choosing plans. We're stepping into plans, right? We don't actually have to make them. When you're planning, what you're actually doing is identifying plans, right? Selecting, right? You're going through the timetables. You're looking at the schedules, right? That's what you're doing when you're planning. You're not actually, there are some possible exceptions, but nobody's really creating a brand new life, right? You're stepping into a life that God's created for you, right? Okay, so how did I get my first teaching job? I went to a conference, and I had name tags. Hello, my name is, right? And fortunately, this time I didn't write Dave. I used to normally just go as Dave, right? So that anything you did that was perhaps a little questionable, you were unidentifiable because there was always about 75 people in every room called Dave, right? The, um, so I said, Jordan Smith. Hello, my name is Jordan Smith. I sat down at a meal at one of the, at one of the, in one of the breaks in the conference, and the person sitting opposite me at the table said, ah, you're Jordan Smith. Um, we need you to teach our year eight class starting next year, year seven class starting next year. Um, your tutor, from, tutor teacher from Teachers College has told me that I should employ, employ you. So what we'll do is um, uh, we'll get, you have to fill in a form, send you a CV. We'll get about 60 applicants, but we just throw them all in the bin. Uh, you come up for an interview, and then you can start on, you can start on February the 5th as the first staff day, right? That's how I got my first school teacher job. Right, and all of my other jobs have been like that. Why? Because God's opening a plan for you. Right? He's got a plan for you to step into. Right? Uh, and there's there's an amazing passage in Matthew Matthew 25, and it see it talks about the parable of the talents. Right? Give me a wave if you know the parable of the talents. Okay. Put your hand put your hands out. Put your, put your hand up if you don't know the parable of the talents from the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Homework. Thank you for putting your hands up, boys. In Matthew chapter 25, you need to read it before you go to bed. Is that all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out somehow. I'm going to find out, right? Yeah, there'll be some... Yeah, anyhow. In the book, the, the, the reward goes to the people who had five talents and two talents. Right? The reward goes to them. Um, and it says this interesting word. It says that the one who got five talents, he took the five talents and he immediately went and traded with them. Right? So he engaged in the world, right? So he took the talents and he stepped into the thing. Every time, what, I'm, I'm speaking, there's students in the front row, the second row here, right? University students, right? You need to be really, really careful about views of the world, intellectual constructs, um, patterns for behavior, patterns for assessment or understanding. You need to be really scared about any of them that are built on a constant. 
right? They're, they're designed around a static, right? A classic one is, is Marxism. Rich people have the money. We need to take the money from the rich people and distribute it to the workers, right? That, that's based on the static, that, there's, that money is somehow static and it's in the rich people's hands and we can take it from them. That, but no, the whole thing's all moving, right? Rich people are becoming poor, poor people are becoming rich. The whole thing's moving all the time. There's no definable groups, right? So be real careful about those fixed things because the kingdom of God's in the movement, right? The kingdom of God's forcefully advancing, the Bible says, and violent people are taking it by force. The, the, the parable of the talents of the people who went and engaged in the world, making differences, changing things, right? The people who sat back and defined the constants. There's this many poor people in the world. You're always wrong if you're just defining constants. You're only in the kingdom when you're dynamically changing, transforming, engaging, and moving things, right? So social scientists are not as useful as social workers, right? Don't be a Christian scientist, because why would you want to go and sit in a reading room anyway? Don't be a a science-based Christian, where I, I want to understand the Bible. Yeah. What, what do you mean? How, how can you, have you looked at it? You're not going to understand it. What you need to do is engage with it and bring it into yourself and then engage with the world. That's not just airy-fairy talk. That's a way of being. Don't be a Christian who's going to understand and judge things. Be a Christian who's going to embrace the things of the kingdom and engage with the world around you. You know, when I was looking at the notes on the front row, I was like, oh, this is going to be perfect because this is only about 20 minutes, right? (laughs) It's a lot longer, so apologies, right? Okay, so the first point I made is that we have to be in the right place at the right time, and the right place is here right now. So we actually have to work with our mindset. We have to discipline ourselves to against worry. We actually, there's a, the Bible commands against worry. What's your plan to deal with worry? Because half of you are more, you're going you're gonna to struggle in the worry space. What's your plan? I've talked, one of my daughters is a, is a warrior, right? Not a warrior, but a, she worries a lot, right? And I don't talk, I try not to talk to her about the things she's worried about. I try and talk to her about, hey, what's your plan to manage the worry down, right? What are you going to do, you know? Um, and, and some of you are regret people. Oh, oh if only... Right, so you're more probably more um, romantic, sympathetic. Uh, you're probably you know a, a, a little bit more empathetic, right? So you're going to be more a regretsy person, right? Oh, that was really hurtful when that happened, and oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? So obviously that's me, a much more regretful person because I'm empathetic and caring, right? So that's me, right? But the 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 but. <laughs> We've got to be right where we are so that we can be a God. And we've got to recognize that God's making plans. Once you get close enough to God, you realize God's moving things forward. Hey, we need someone to do this. We need someone to do that. God's not just like, the angels are just singing and praising. And we get the idea that God's just soaking it in. Yeah, you know I'm good, right? He's not. They're praising God. We're praising God all the time because he's at work. He's moving things. He's getting stuff done. We're cheering a champion in battle. We're not cheering just the king on the throne, right? God's moving. God's at work. Now, the next thing is this. Send me. That's what Isaiah says. He says, send me. Come on, that, that's, if, you, if you're at university, that's because you, you want to be sent somewhere. 
You might think, oh, I just want to get a degree. No, you want to do something, right? If you've got a job, if you got up in the morning, why did you get out of bed today? You didn't have to, right? Unless your mum, if you live, you live with your mum, obviously, then she's going to have to. So that's why Jacob got out of bed, obviously. But, <laughs> but you didn't have to get out of bed. Come on, why are you standing up here? On, why are you giving your time to sing on the stage here? I'm looking at an actual person, trying, to, trying not to make him feel too awkward. But why, why are you up here standing on stage? No, the reason you're up here standing on stage is not because you love singing. I hope that you love singing because you're good at it, right? But you're up here because there's a thing in you that wants to be part of the thing that's moving things forward, right? There's a thing in us that wants to be part of it, right? But send me is not the same thing as endorse me. Lots and lots of Christians pray prayers to God that say, endorse me and I'll go. Get behind my plan. Do you know, God's looking for investors. He's not looking to invest. God's not looking to invest in your life. He's looking for you to invest in his plan. Right? Uh, we get them mixed up. Hey, God, I've got this great idea. Uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got a business plan for God. And they've got a, a pitch deck. Right? And you know, we've got other people getting behind us, God. We've got, the, we've got the devil. He's in this. No, oh, hold on. Sorry. No. Uh, no, we're trying to get God to buy into our plan. Are you trying to get God to buy into your plan? Are you trying to? Or are you looking, hey, I, want to, I just want to be close to God and hear what his plan is. Right? Uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says he's told you what is good and what the Lord really wants from you he wants you to carry out justice to love faithfulness and to live obediently before your God isn't that cool okay I'm going to speak to a couple of things here right so just brace yourself curmudgeon about to talk right Carry out justice is not the same as fighting for justice. Can you hear this? They're really different things. For me, carrying out justice in my carrying out justice is me being just. Right? It's not me. It doesn't say judge the world and scream at it for justice. Right? There's a lot of that goes on, right? A lot of people screaming for justice. That's not necessarily God's plan. What's definitely God's plan is that we carry out justice, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, what does it mean for me to carry out justice in my sphere, in my part of the world? Right? I'm a not very influential person, right? My opinion about the role, the rights and unrights of the vaccine mandate irrelevant. Do you know why? Because that's not my thing to carry out. Right? What's my thing to carry out? Tiny little piece of the world. How I spend my money. How I engage with my family. That's what carrying out justice means. That's about me employing my neighbor because he was starting a business and it was pretty hard to get started. I said, hey, man, I'll pay you to do my house. That's me bringing justice to the world, right? It's not about me. It's not about my voting. 
forget about your voting. What are you, what are you carrying out? How are you carrying justice, right? Uh, and a quest for cosmic justice will rob you of the opportunity to carry justice for yourself. I want the world to be just. Well, too bad. It's not going to be. You need to carry justice in your own world. Amen. What about loving faithfulness? To love something means you sacrifice for it. So I love faithfulness. Right? I love faithfulness, so I sacrifice for it. Okay? So my 17-year-old son rostered to play music at Equipus Church Wellington. Every couple of weeks, he has to get up really early to get there for pack-in. Right? I love faithfulness. So do you know who else gets up really early? Right? Because I want him to learn. I'm making sacrifices so he can learn faithfulness, right? What about this? I, I love faithfulness. God wants me to carry justice and love faithfulness. That means I'm going to make sacrifices so that I can hold to my own commitments. So when I make a commitment, I'm then going to sacrifice around it, right? Because I love faithfulness. I don't just like the idea of it. Right? I actually love it, so I'm going to sacrifice for me to make my own commitments. And the most important commitments you make are the commitments you make to yourself. And to live obediently with God. Walking humbly with God. is then, And that's the other translation of that is walk obediently with God, walk humbly with God. Do you know who's bigger than you? Well, God is. Right? My favorite thing in the world at the moment, my absolute favorite thing in the world at the moment is Twitter, right? Because on Twitter, people with three followers are, are, are telling the whole world how to think, right? I'm just like, you don't really know, eh? Right? Oh, I'll tell you what, you, everyone's, got a, everyone's got a blue and yellow flag. Uh, everyone's got a Ukraine flag, eh? Right? Do you know anything about Ukraine? I don't. <laughs> I'm just like, are you sure? I'm not sure this person. They're 15. I don't think they know anything about Ukraine, right? Why? We, we all think. We all think we know everything, right? I was chatting with Dave. Well, I, was a vaccine, I was a vaccine expert, I was. <laughs> then I became a geopolitical expert in Eastern European studies, <laughs> right? I, went, I, I straight away had an opinion about the Vladimir and the Vladimir, right? I straight away had an opinion, right? Now, come on, we need to take it down a notch, right? We don't know anything. That's a really good starting point, right? I don't know anything. How does God want me to live? So what does the Sermon on the Mount say? What, is the, what, are, the, what are the Proverbs say, right? Oh, come on. Oh, there's so much confusion in the world. You could do really well for your own life to think, okay, I'm going to live like the Sermon on the Mount. It's only three chapters in the whole Bible. You don't need to read the whole Bible. You do need to read the whole Bible to understand those three chapters. But start with those three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to live like that. Um, and that would be good. Awesome. Musicians, why don't you come and uh, we should pray before we finish. Um, The first time I was in Dunedin uh, as part, uh, well, the first time I connected with this church is at 2004 or 2005, one of those two years. I believe it was April, I think it was like Easter time, 2004 is my guess. 
No, it wasn't. It was the it was like middle of the year, middle of the year school holidays, two thousand and four. And I flew into Dunedin Airport from Auckland, and I was picked up by James Roy and his brothers Pajero, right? Um, and I don't, I don't know about you, I've, I've been in lots of cars with lots of people driving, but it's never been quite as exciting uh, as driving with Pastor James Roy. Uh, he learned to drive as a 10-year-old on a tractor, and he's, he's maintained that vibe right through his, to his adult life. And <laughs> Now, he can make any car feel like it's a tractor falling off a cliff. <laughs> uh and do you know, since then, I've been, I've, been, I've been here for church things every year, more than one time, every year since then. We, James picked me up from the airport, and then, um, uh, who was it? Someone from here. I said, I think it was one of the Bathgates, but it wasn't. They were too young to drive. It was somebody else. Uh, I can see his face, but anyway, he drove us up from here to Timaru, stopped at Palmerston for a giant ice cream. And we were going. We were going to Timaru for a youth event. It was, uh, it was like forty-five weirdos in a in a in a in a room up above a Whitcalls in Timaru, right? It was an upper room, though. Can you know, can you see the significance of this, right? Um, there was lots of famous people there, lots of names of people. Uh, Dave Whitaker was there. Ben, you would have been too young. You would have been at school still, maybe. I'm trying to think who else was there. That couple who went to Sydney were there. Uh, a bunch of people. A whole bunch of them. I can see them in my mind. I don't know. I could find them on Facebook for you. Right? But all, do you know about all those people that were in that room? Do you know what all of them have done? They've gone and done stuff. Some of them have done stuff all over the world. Right? But they were in a space and we worshiped together, we encouraged each other, and we did that over and over again on Sunday and Wednesday nights here, I think it was the university thing, and on Friday nights with youth. And and in this space, we got to, you gotta recognize the significance of what's happening right now. Right? We're not building something for the future. Do you know what we're doing? We're connecting with the plan of God now. Right? Because God's not in the future. God's here now. He wants to move in our world. So why don't we stand to our feet? And the musicians are going to play. And I think... I think the thing we have to do from this passage of Scripture, the thing we have to do is worship. Because Isaiah sees God. And pretty much... God takes care of everything after that. God redeems him with the coal and God speaks to him and then God sends him and God, he has this career writing the book of Isaiah but also living that book. As a historical figure, we don't know much about Isaiah's life. We've got his writings, but we have this story of his revelation where God initially called him. Um, what does the word worship mean? Sort of, it's got this connection to sacrifice. It's really important. So worship costs something. There's an immediate cost to worship, right? And worship doesn't pay you back, right? So think about the old school sacrifice with the, with the burn an animal, 
right? That's the end of that animal. Right, and then you carry on with the other animals and you carry on your farm. So there's a cost associated with worship. But one of my favorite definitions of worship that, um, it's a long story where I heard this, but there's a guy who's a French-Canadian Orthodox Christian icon carver. So he carves his name. Anyway, thanks to the YouTube. Hey, how good is the internet, right? You can meet this guy, right? And he said this. He says that worship is attention. Whatever has your attention is God. That's the thing you're focusing on. That's the thing you're, the thing you're focusing on is also the thing that you're looking to, right? So let's, let's think about the world that we live in. What is it fighting for? What is it trying to get off you all the time? Your attention. Look at this TikTok video. How enriching was that? The guy falls off a ladder. Awesome. Right? But I was talking to Pastor Will, you know. You start watching those crazy TikTok videos. We like watching people get hurt on the internet. So kids falling over, bicycle accidents, just stuff, general, motorbikes collapsing on people. My favorite ones are where people swing out on a swing. And you're like, that person's not going to be able to hold their own weight. And you know it's going to happen. They're swinging, ah, whoosh, and just land on the ground. I'm just like, yay. Next one. Ah, 45 minutes later, hey, you've just been watching people hurt themselves, right? The world is the, the world that the powers of the world are trying to capture your attention. But Jesus deserves it, right? So why don't we, why don't we look at this? Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at Equipment's Church, the Need. We pray that it blessed you. For more information, please check out equipmentschurch.com.